In recognition of Heidi going to Ecuador, I decided to leave our what we've been looking at over the past few weeks, the prophecy of Joel, and look at a passage of Scripture that's very familiar. In fact, I think it's so familiar uh, that we tend to just breeze over it. We don't really think about what it's saying. And uh, you have to ask the question, why would anybody uh, pick up and leave their family, their home, their uh, security, their life, and go to a faraway country? Uh, back in 19, uh, I think it was 1995 or 96, uh, Mati V and I had just finished uh, building a, a beautiful home down in the Upper Valley, and uh, we were content and decided, you know, this is where we're going to be buried, out in the backyard. And... Uh, one morning, uh, I went to Mati V, my wife, and I told her, I think God is calling me to sell my business and go into uh, the gospel ministry, go back to graduate school, and uh, we need to think about leaving El Paso. And you know what she told me? She said, have a great time. Send me a postcard from wherever you land. Um, it, is, it is a very... Um, I don't know, maybe confusing thing to pick up and leave and go somewhere. But uh, Jesus did command us all to do that in one way or another. Heidi's doing it in a specific way. She's going to Ecuador. Uh, but what about the rest of us? What, those of us that are just in our regular lives and in our homes. Uh, we're going to talk about that. So in your Bible, you can look at Matthew 28. This is called the Great Commission. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can read it in your bulletin. There's an insert, which I'll be using this morning to read from. And now hear God's Word. We're going to start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Word of the Lord. We're going to look at four things this morning very quickly. First of all, uh, the doubt that is in this passage of Scripture. Something that I think we all struggle with, but are uh, very reticent to admit, especially in church, in Christian circles, people that say they are believers. Worst thing you can do is say, I have doubts, because then they start to question uh, your credibility. But we all have doubts, and we're going to talk about that. Secondly, we're going to look at the dominion that Jesus had. Uh, thirdly, we'll look at the direction He says for us to go. And finally, a decree that He makes. So first of all, uh, doubt. Uh, the theologian Oz Guinness, in his book, Into Minds, The Dilemma of Doubt and How to Resolve It, he says this, and listen carefully, if ours, and he's talking about the Christian faith, he's not talking about other religions, he's talking about Christianity in particular, if ours is an examined faith, and what he means by that is, if ours is a faith that will stand up to scrutiny, in other words, if you look at Christianity and you look at it and scrutinize it, will it hold up? Will it hold up to the criticisms and the skepticism of the world? If ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. We should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing 
what clearly was not worth believing. In other words, if you can take Christianity and poke huge holes in it, then why bother believing it? Is it true or is it not true? And he's saying that Christianity is an examined faith, one that will hold up to scrutiny. But if doubt is answered, he said, if we can answer the doubts that we have, all of us, believer, unbeliever, whatever, if you can answer those doubts, our faith will grow stronger. Our faith will grow stronger. It knows God more certainly, and it can enjoy God more deeply. In other words, no matter how strong your faith is, and as a pastor, the people that I am the most suspicious of are the ones that come to me and say, uh, Pastor Chuck, I have no doubts. I, my faith is so strong, and they just go on about all the glories of how great they believe. I immediately have red flags go. So be forewarned. Don't come to me and tell me how great your faith is. Because we all struggle with doubt. Everybody does. And what Guinness is saying, what this great theologian is saying, is that our faith can and does hold up under scrutiny. But it needs to be answered. Answers need to be given. And Heidi, when you go on this trip to Ecuador, you're going to have times of doubt and fear and sorrow and despair. Everybody does. We all do. I do. And I know that, you know, I'm a paragon of virtue up here. Uh, but, it's, but I have to tell you, I have doubts. Some of them I would never be willing to share because it, it, you would say, well, why should we come listen to you if you have doubts? I'll tell you why. Because every time I have a doubt, I do what you should do. And that is examine it. Look at it. Don't be afraid to question. Christianity can hold up to the scrutiny that we apply to it. It has held up for 2,000 years and it will hold up for another 2,000 years. We should not be afraid to ask questions. Matthew Henry said, even among those that worship, there are some that doubt. It tended much to the honor of Christ. Listen, that the disciples doubted before they believed. In other words, their doubt resounded to His glory. so that they cannot be said to be credulous. In other words, we're not believing in pie in the sky, a fig newton of our imagination. There is solid evidence for the Christian faith. What we believe is real. Now you can choose whether or not you want to believe it. And we make choices every day. But the fact of the matter is, Christianity can and does hold up under scrutiny. And so when we leave our home, our kith and kindred, as we say, and we go into these missions or we leave our career. I left a, a prosperous business and a 20-year career and sold everything and went and moved to, to Florida to go to graduate school. And many of you have done the same thing. You have had to leap over hurdles. You've had to get over doubt. And Christianity is a religion that embraces doubt, we're not afraid of it. We're not afraid of it. We admit that there are lots of questions and it needs to be put under the microscope and held in scrutiny. But if we can answer it, now the ball is in your court. You have to say, okay, they gave me some pretty good answers and I have to deal with those answers. And you have to deal with them. Now if the answers are no good, fine. But if they're good, you're responsible. You have to answer and you have, to, uh, you have to engage with God, whoever He is. You with me? Alright. 
what is so interesting about this passage, it begins not with strong faith, these guys that are just going to rock the world with their faith. It starts with 11 men who had doubts. 11 frail men. Many of them had already failed and fallen miserably. One of them actually betrayed his Lord and then committed suicide. This is how the church begins. And there were other people there, at least we think so, at this, this uh, uh, magnificent epiphany of Jesus rising up into the sky and being uh, called back to His heavenly home. People saw this and they doubted. So seeing, and I've told you this before, folks, seeing is not believing. But believing can cause you to see, can open the eyes of your faith and cause you to see. And so God... Uh, does tell us not to be afraid of doubt. So what we here's the end of this. Don't embrace doubt like it's some sort of a badge and go around saying, I don't believe anything. I doubt, I doubt, I doubt. Everybody believes lots of things. Even if you are an unbeliever, you believe in that unbelief and have secured yourself in that unbelief. So believing is the purview of all people. We all believe. But don't embrace doubt as some sort of a badge. But at the same time, and I'm saying this mostly to those of you who are Christians, don't deny those doubts either. Go talk to somebody. Be honest. And then orient yourself to the one who does have answers. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come and examine Him. Put Christ under the microscope. Scrutinize Him if you want to. And if He doesn't measure up, you have no obligation. But if He does, then you will have to answer the question that people have had to answer for centuries and millennia. The question that Jesus asked His own disciples. This question, Who do you say that I am? If the Bible is true, someday every one of us is going to stand before God and have to answer that question. Who do you say He is? And that will, that will decide your eternal destiny. Now that's the Christian faith. I, I'm, I'm giving you a, an, apolog, an apologetic for my own belief system. Okay? Doubts, we're not afraid of them. But we want to be honest. Let your doubts move you to Jesus Christ. It did move the 11 disciples to Jesus. It moved the 500 that witnessed His ascension. And it has moved millions since then from doubt to faith and strengthened us in the process. So don't be afraid of your doubts. The second thing is dominion. Jesus says all authority. And He uses an interesting word in Greek. He says exousia. All exousia has been given to Me. He's not using the word for raw power. Raw power. That is the word dunamis. He's using the word for authority or a right to use and exercise raw power with no restraint, no restrictions, to the full extent. In other words, all power, all authority, all exousia in heaven and on earth, in every realm that you and I know of as, as human beings, in every realm, this man, Jesus Christ, has authority. It is unrestrained and it is universal. Heaven and earth. You see, in the world, when you, when you look at a map, what do you see on the map? If it's a typical map, you see lines 
that show borders. Borders of states, borders of countries, borders of continents. But if you leave the earth in a spaceship and you look down, you don't see any borders. And you see, Israel, ancient Israel, had borders. Mesopotamia had borders. Babylonia had borders. The Medo-Persian Empire had its borders. The Greeks had their borders. The United States of America has its borders. But Jesus' kingdom has no borders. He says to His followers, stop looking at the borders. Look at the world. The world is Mine and all the fullness thereof. Therefore, go into that world. I have dominion. What He's doing, what He's saying is really quite remarkable. Folks, think for a minute. Take a a 40,000-foot view of the Bible and think for a minute what He's saying. He's saying, come up here to this high altitude and look down at the whole plan of Scripture, the whole story of the Bible. You start out in a garden and God says, I'm going to give these people in this garden all authority to spread My garden to the entire earth. Eden. The Garden of Eden. But they fail in their mission. They betray the God who created them and provided them a home. Not just any home. A home in paradise, for goodness sakes. Where everything was free to them. With one restriction. Don't eat from this particular tree because I don't want you to know good and evil yet. I'll tell you when the right time for that comes. Instead, they betray Him. And the world goes down into an abyss. And Jesus comes along. He goes to the cross. He rises from the dead. He comes to the mountain. And He says to His disciples, go into all the world. He's reimagining Eden. He's reimagining the, crea- the new creation. He's reimagining a world with no borders. A world where people get along, where they don't look at race or color, where they don't judge people by their color of their skin, but rather the content of their character, as Martin Luther King said. Where people are not judged by how much money they have or how much power they have or how good looking like me i mean i could, how how good looking are you or how ugly you may be in other words those distinctions that separate human beings will be removed and we can actually look at each other and love each other for who that person is rather than what they can do for me And we stop using one another. It's a reimagining, this great commission of Jesus, a reimagining of the Garden of Eden. And where is this dominion? It's in Christ Himself. He says, all authority has been given to me. To me. Now, I know this really grates on us because in the United States, you know, we have this idea, you know, you can believe whatever you want. My beliefs are just as good as your beliefs. And that's fine. My God is just as good as your God and I can believe whatever I want. I can, I can create a God of my own. And whatever I want to believe about God, I can believe about God. But be honest, folks. If you do that, isn't the God that you're imagining, the God that you're creating, just you? If you can say, well, I can believe God is whatever he wa- I want Him to be, then isn't He just you? The Bible never says you can make a God of your own making. I am God, you're not, and I can cross your will anytime I choose. And so if you have a God that never crosses you, 
who never opposes you, who never says to you, don't eat from that tree. You're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You're worshiping a God of your own making. And at the end of the day, when you strip everything away, that God's just you. It's just you. And so what Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. Christianity is an exclusive religion. And I don't particularly like that. Wouldn't you like it if everybody's religion was equal? Yes or no? See, some of you don't know whether to answer or not. This guy is asking a lot of trick questions this morning. I would love to be able to create a God that would serve me. I'd love that. I'd love to create a God who would do what I tell Him to do. To jump when I clap my hands and He goes, get me this and do for me and do that and this and the other thing. But the Bible presents a God who is mighty, strong, filled with compassion and love, who only does what is good for us and never what is bad. Who has embraced a humanity that has shunned and pushed Him back at every occasion. And still He keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps embracing. If we believe that Jesus Christ has dominion and that He is the King of kings, then the only reasonable rational response would be to bow down to Him and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me and accept me. That's the only reasonable thing to do. Anything else is what Dr. R.C. Sproul calls insanity. It is insane. Now, if he's not real, if he's not true, if he will not stand up, if the doubt will not hold up under scrutiny, then... Believe what you want. Jesus actually said it best. He said, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, you die. You go back to the grave, you go into the dust, and you just rot. And you're nothing. And your whole life is meaningless. Aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> your whole life is meaningless. Why did I have to listen to this? Think about it, though. Doubt will hold up under scrutiny. And Jesus Christ has dominion. He says, all authority has been given to me. What about the direction? Very quickly. He says, go and make disciples. In other words, in fact, in Greek, it, it, it doesn't say go as, as a command. It says, as you're going, or as you go, or going, just the word going, going to all the nations, as you're going, movement is assumed. And sadly, a lot of Christians, and one of, the, one of my greatest fears when we got this building is that we would come into this building and we would just uh, settle down and nobody would move. Now, since we've been here, how many weeks have we been here? Uh, about eight, six or eight weeks? I don't know, a couple months. Every week, I keep reminding you, the building is not the thing. It's a wonderful, it's a beautiful building. I never dreamed we'd have a building like this. But it's not the thing. We are people that are be, to be moving, to be going. Maybe not to Ecuador as far away as all that. Maybe not to Florida as far away as all that was for Madi V and I. Maybe it's just going, as Randy Pope says, going across the street or going across the tracks. 
See, going to another group of people that are not like you across the tracks or going to a people across the ocean as Heidi will be doing. You see, there are places where we are to go. We are people that are to be on the go. Going people. People that go across the street and get to know our neighbors. People that go across the tracks get to know people that are from other cultures, other uh, religions, other belief systems, other socioeconomic levels, other colors, other languages, and of course across the ocean. And as we go, we are to be making disciples, or the word is actually discipling the ethnos, the ethnic people, the people of every race and tribe and tongue and nation. We're to be taking our faith and demonstrating that faith to them in a real, authentic way. Christianity has, has had its share of hypocrites, yes? Hypocrisy. So has every religion. Every religion is plagued with hypocrisy. But within the capsule of our own little religion of Christianity, there are those who exhibit and demonstrate authentic faith. Sadly, sometimes it's less than the majority. But what we do want to encourage you is to embrace the true faith and demonstrate that true faith. He says in baptizing and teaching. Baptizing is a, is a ritual. It's a ritual of initiation into a particular faith. And almost every religion has some initiatory rite that you make in order to get into that religion. And baptism is the one that Jesus ordained for us. It's a ritual of conversion. We're also to be teaching. Teaching His commandments. Dr. William Hendrickson in his commentary said that truth must be learned and then practiced. And if all you do is take in and you never actually practice your faith, you're the definition of hypocrisy. I'm ashamed to say it. I've done it. I love learning. I love theology. I spent a lot of money to go to graduate school to a theological seminary and get a, a, big, a big degree. And so I love theology. I love to learn. I can get stacks of books and immerse myself in them. But they mean absolutely nothing if you come to know me and my life does not demonstrate what's in those books. Yes? It just doesn't mean anything. So we must do what our Savior says, not just learn all about Him. And He tells us to do that. And finally, He makes a decree. This is really quite remarkable. He says in verse 20, Behold, I am with you always. In other words, He's saying, keep this foremost. Behold, keep this foremost in your mind. Because as you're going, as you're going, it's going to be difficult. The going is not going to be easy. Remember that, Heidi. It's not going to be easy. I wish I could tell you it's going to be it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to get lonely. You're going to want your mom and dad, you're going to want your sisters. You're going to you're going to want me. He said, "Paul, if I only could be back at Christ the King with my pastor Chuck." Yeah. You know that, right? So email me and tell me that cuz I need the encouragement. There's going to be hard going is not easy. It's hard. So he's saying, remember this. Put this foremost in your mind 
as you're going. I will be with you. Always. Forever. In your doubts. In your fears. In your despair. In your uh, terror. I will be with you. I will not leave you. I'd like to tell you folks that I've, not, that I've never failed as a Christian or as a pastor. I mean, look, I'm in a robe today. Don't I look cool? I mean, I look like a holy person. But I have failed. I, at 9.15 this morning, I failed. I won't tell you what it was. It, was, it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> we all fail. And Jesus said, you may fail. You may fail. I won't fail you. The bumper sticker theology that says when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on is blasphemy. He's the one that ties the knots. He's the one that binds us with cords of love. We let go of the rope how often? Every day. He's the one that, ro- that ro- rolls His rope around us and binds us with cords of love and will never ever let us go. We can shake our fist at Him and He will calmly take your hand, pull it down to your side, and embrace you with arms of love. Yes? And if you don't know that, then you don't know the Savior. I have, I have run from Him. I have shaken my hands at Him. And He has chased me down and wrapped me up like any good parent would do to a naughty child, yes? Never leave you or forsake you. Life, folks, you know this. We live our lives in a crucible. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. In the world you will have tribulation. In the world you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We're not to find our security in in our own faith and in our own strength and in our own willpower. We are to find our strength and our power and our exousion, whatever else you want to call it, we are to find that in Him. I have overcome the world. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus assures us of His personal presence corporately as a church and individually as people. He promises He will never leave you no matter what happens. How do you know? How can you as a Christian actually know that as you go, as you struggle with your doubts, as you live in the crucible of life? How can you know that He will never leave or forsake you? And the answer is right there on the face of the Bible's pages in the Gospel when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and He cried out, tempted to doubt, struggling with His own fears and His own doubts, He cried out to His Father, if it's possible, would you take this cup from Me? Would you remove this cup from Me? And the answer was no. And the cross... He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Simply this. I will never leave you or forsake you. Has its roots, its ground, its foundation 
in the forsakenness of Jesus Himself on the cross for you, for me, as you, as me. He bore the sin of this world so that we would never be forsaken. He endured the forsakenness of God. God His Father turned His back on His Son so that you could live your entire life, even in your doubts and fears, knowing that He would never, ever, ever turn His back on you. Never. He turned His back on His Son so that we could live our lives in freedom, knowing that He would never turn His back on me. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, uh, we struggle with our doubts and our fears and uh, so many other things. We struggle with our faith sometimes. We don't know if, if we even have any faith. And I pray, Holy Father, that as we come before You this morning and prepare to take uh, the holy sacrament of Your body and blood, that You will remind us that You will never leave us or forsake us, that this sacrament of the Lord's Supper will serve to remind each and every one of us that through the millennia You have never left Your people, that You have been faithful and have bound us with cords of love. Please help us, save us. Have mercy on us, O God according to Your grace. Amen.